What is the motivation to endure when suffering comes, when the world's scorn is poured upon you for naming the name of Christ, when that which is precious to you is taken away from you? What is the reason to endure and keep going? Welcome to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. I'm Steve Hiller, and glad you've joined us today. And Jonathan, you've asked some really big questions right there, ones that we've probably all wrestled with at some point in time. So then, what is that reason to endure, that that reason to keep going? Well, I think the reason to keep going, according to the Bible and according to the passage that we're going to study today, is simply this. God is doing something. God has a, a purpose in this. This is going somewhere. For the believer, for the Christian person, we, we acknowledge the reality of hard things in life, the reality of suffering, the reality of trial. But what is distinctive for the Christian person, for the believer, is this. There is no such thing as meaningless suffering, as empty trial for the Christian person. We understand from the Bible that difficult things will come, very, very painful things may come into our experience, but none of it is meaningless because God is at work and he is achieving something and he is preparing us for something. And so we can trust him in the midst of it. That, that's the believer's confidence. That's the, that's the Bible's assurance to us. And it's what we need to hold to in the midst of trial if we belong to Jesus Christ. We're going to explore that a little bit further, of course, in today's message. We are, and I'm so glad that we are, because I think, Jonathan, as you've pointed out, this is to be expected by the believer. You may be facing it right now, and I hope that today's message will be a reminder of truth and an encouragement to you as we open our Bibles together to the book of 1 Peter chapter 1, looking at verses 6 to 9 today. Here's Jonathan with a confidence in trials. Verse 7. You have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When the Lord returns, the faith of these believers who have walked through trial and been refined in the fire, their faith will shine brightly and magnify Jesus Christ. It will point a spotlight to Jesus, and it will bring honor and glory and praise to him. And that's the purpose of trials. They refine our faith that we might bring glory to our Savior. That's it. That's what they're doing. That's where they're pointing. But that, that does leave us with a question. It leaves us with a practical question. How do we respond to these trials in the here and now? What do we do with them? Well, that is where Peter takes us next, the response to trials. Verse 8, he says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. You know, each trial we face, in some ways, it brings us to a crossroads or a fork in the road. Each situation of strain and suffering, and loss, and opposition, it brings us to a kind of fork in the road in our spiritual journey. Each time we face adversity, we have a choice to make, each one of us. The choice is this, will we veer closer to the Lord? Will we entrust ourselves to Him more fully? Will we delight more in who He is? 
Will we hold to his word more firmly? Will we hope in his promises more deeply? Or will we become embittered toward him? Will we blame him, reject him, and then veer away from him? That is the choice we face at each fork in the road of trial. And and that is a tussle. That is a battle within each disciple's heart when the time of testings come. And the sad truth is that some trials will expose an unbelieving heart beneath a religious veneer. I'm afraid that's sometimes what happens. Sometimes it will be trial that proves a person not to be a true believer at all. You remember how Jesus says in the parable of the sower how some seed of the Word of God will fall upon rocky ground. Do you remember that? And in in Matthew 13 and verse 20, he says of that seed, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. And you know, sadly, that can be the response to trial of some who have professed faith. The root just, the the deep root was not there. They weren't truly converted, and suffering exposes that fact, sadly. But Peter is commending to us the better way, the believing way. He commends to us here the approach to trial that is rooted in joy in Christ, in love for the Savior. In fact, that's where we began the whole discussion of trial, back in verse 6, having reminded us of that great inheritance that we have in Christ in the salvation yet to be revealed. Peter said to us, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. In this you rejoice. That's the starting place. That's That's the disposition. That is the approach, the response. And on the surface, that looks unrealistic in this context. It it actually could look a little bit trite, a little bit superficial. It looks like a kind of polite avoidance strategy. You know, someone is going through a miserable time and you know it and you go up to them and you say, how are you doing? And they say, well, you know, we're just, we're fine, thanks. You know, we're, we're just looking on the bright side. Thanks for asking. And you know full well that they are brushing you off. That's what they're doing. They don't want to talk about it. They, they, they want to walk away. It's an avoidance strategy. Well, is that what, what Peter's kind of doing here? Is Peter commending to us a breezy superficiality as we walk through trial? Is this about pretending? Is this about show? Is this about avoidance? How can he speak of rejoicing in the midst of trial? Well, on the surface, rejoicing and suffering do not have a great deal in common. And for the unbeliever, they could hardly ever be connected. I don't know how. But in the economy of God, these things, they are very deeply linked together, aren't they? In fact, sorrow can drive us to deeper joy. Now, at this point, we have to remember that joy and happiness are not actually the same thing. Happiness is an emotional response, isn't it, to circumstance. Happiness comes and happiness goes, but joy is a different thing. Joy is a deep and settled delight in God and in His plans and in His purposes, in His saving work. It's not about circumstance particularly. It is not about ease for sure. It's not even about emotional happiness. That's not what joy 
is about. It's about a settled contentment and security in God, who He is and what He has done. We may be deeply sad and truly joyful at the same time. But more than that, and here is the paradox, here is the mystery, more than that, our trials and our suffering can actually lead us to an increase of joy. You see, as the things of this world are spoiled for us through trial and suffering, and that's what happens, the world becomes spoiled for us through trial. As the world becomes a more and more inhospitable place for us, as its sheen is tarnished and its sparkle diminished through pain and loss, here's what happens. The things of God actually come to shine more brightly for us. That's what happens. Gift of salvation, the hope of eternity, the love of God, the promises of His Word, these actually become more real to us and more precious to us. That is the reality. That's the truth of it. You see, it's no mistake that verse 8 comes right in the midst of this treatment of suffering. It might seem out of place, but it is exactly where it should be. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. See, as believers, we are those who have not seen him and yet love him. And the experience of trial can actually teach us to love him more. When earthly comforts leave us, and earthly helpers desert us, we learn in a deeper way, do we not, to look to him. We learn in a, in a more profound way to cling to his hand, to lean upon him, the one who will not desert us. When we taste something of the grinding reality of suffering and loss, when we endure pain, even agony, physical, mental, emotional, whatever that pain may be, we learn to wonder afresh, don't we? that the Son of Heaven came down into this world, stepped into this veil of tears Himself, endured the agony of the cross for us and for our sake. And in the midst of our suffering, as we look to the One who suffered for us, here's what we learn. We learn to love Him more. And when all this world's supports are stripped away from us, We who believe in him, middle of verse 8, learn to deepen our belief as we are forced to cling to him and to the promises of his word, to wait upon him, to trust what he has said. And in all this, by some mystery of grace, end of verse 8, we learn to rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. This joy is inexpressible because it barely makes sense. We can't explain it. How do you explain to an unbeliever, how do you do it, that you are filled with joy when you've suffered loss, when your body is failing, when tragedy strikes your family, when your life is torn apart by circumstance? You can can barely articulate how or why to yourself, let alone to someone else. The joy of the Lord, joy in the midst of sorrow and trial, it is inexpressible, says Peter. He's right. And it's filled with glory, too, he tells us. Now, that's a very intriguing thing to say, isn't it? Isn't that intriguing? Glory is a property of God himself. Glory emanates from the God of heaven. But our joy in situations that would not normally seem joyful, when that happens, here's the thing, it's got God's fingerprints all over it. 
a believer whose face just radiates the joy of the Lord in the midst of hardship, whose face is maybe marked by pain and suffering, but at the same time lightened by the Lord's presence. What else do you call that but glorious? It's precisely the right word. And again, I think I've seen it. I think I know what Peter's talking about here. It's what we see in the lives of the people of God over time, in the lives of those who have walked through trial but done so alongside the Lord, walking with the Lord, looking to the Lord, trusting in the Lord, finding their joy in the Lord. How do we approach trials? How do we respond to them? We suggested earlier that each trial in the Christian life, each trial that you and I face is a kind of fork in the road in the Christian life, in the Christian journey. We have a choice as to which track we're going to choose as we go forward, the track of bitterness and unbelief or the track of trust, of leaning upon the Lord, that track that draws us nearer to Him and not further away from Him. As we think about these things, I'm just so conscious that there will certainly be some among us here, probably quite a number actually, who stand at that very fork in the road even now and who are having to decide how to respond to trial, who are grappling, really grappling, who are struggling, and maybe that is you. Maybe that is precisely where you are today. And Peter commends to us, he commends to you the right way. He sets before you and he sets before me the model disposition of a believer toward the Lord, verse 8, even in the midst of trial. This is it. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you rejoice you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Friends, we cannot and we must not pretend that it is easy to navigate trial, suffering, loss, hardship. It is not easy. We can't pretend to minimize the pain that you might be enduring in the midst of trial. It might be agonizing. But let me encourage you from the Word of God, allow your trial to teach you and move you to marvel all the more at the love of God for you in Christ, that he sent his son into this pain-filled world to endure the agony of the cross for you. Allow your trial to drive you to trust him more and more and to wait upon him more and more. Choose that track that draws you nearer to him and don't set one foot on the path that leads the other way. Well, if you are walking through a difficult season, walking through trials today, I hope today's broadcast is an encouragement to you. Our message is called A Confidence in Trials, and while we're going to pause right here, we'll get back to the message in just a few moments. This is Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths, and if you want to connect with this ministry and find out more about us, you can do that at the website, EncounterTheTruth.org. While you're there, not only can you listen to previous broadcasts that you may have missed, you can also sign up for our newsletter so you can stay up to date with what's happening in this ministry. You can also check out Moment of Truth, which is our weekly devotional. Again, you're going to find that at our website, EncounterTheTruth.org, as well as links to social media like Facebook and Instagram. That's a great way to stay connected with the ministry. And if you'd like to stay connected a little bit more with Jonathan's teaching, you can visit our YouTube channel. Simply look for Encounter the Truth. You can like and subscribe, and that way you'll be up to date anytime we're posting new content there. Again, that's at our YouTube channel. Simply look for Encounter the Truth. Let's get back to the message. Again, here is Jonathan. 
Now, to see why it is that we must choose the path of quiet faith and trust, the path that leads nearer the Savior's side, to see why we must finally consider the outcome of trials. This is the outcome for the genuine believer, and we finish with this. Notice it with me, verse 9. You are obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. If you would, just consider with me for a moment the worst journey you have ever undertaken. Think of the, the sea voyage, perhaps, where the weather was just awful, the waves were high, and the seasickness was grim. Think of a flight where everything was delayed, the connection was missed, the baggage was lost. Think of a, a drive where the road was slippery, the traffic awful, where the car broke down where the road was closed, where the GPS was not working. Think of that journey and then ask this question, what is the one reason to persevere in a journey like that? Well, there is one, isn't there? And and one alone, the destination must be worthwhile. You're going somewhere you want to reach. It's meaningful. It's important. It's costly and painful, yes, but it must be done. Last year, for the very first time, we did what so many Canadian families have done before us, we decided that we would attempt the long drive down to Florida at spring break time. Many friends had done it before and, and seemed to survive it, and we thought to ourselves, you know, how bad can this be? <laughs> 2,250 kilometers. Google Maps says 21 hours or so. How hard can it possibly be? And we, we, we said to ourselves, you know, think of the family bonding time. <laughs> Three kids in the back. (laughs) That scene of blissful harmony as the children chat politely with one another in dulcet tones and share that space in the back of the car considerately. As parents have time to take in the scenery and just reflect quietly on the larger questions of life. And then the opportunities to see different parts of the United States on the way down chances to sample different varieties of roadside uh, cuisine. Now, for families that have done this, you will know that promise and reality are are not always the same thing. During those long hours of staring at the road, of managing the aforementioned blissfully harmonious interactions in the backseat, of passing yet another sampling of McDonald's or the Waffle House as the only options for lunch, I tell you, there are whole states that you drive through where not a vegetable or a piece of fresh fruit is in sight for hundreds and hundreds of miles of dealing with the sheer fatigue of the drive, of trying to fill up with gas in the middle of nowhere and the credit card not working at the pump. In the midst of all that, there is one thing, one thing that keeps you going, And one thing only, the thought of Gulf Coast beaches and palm trees and sunshine and dinner on the terrace overlooking the sunset and the lapping waves. It's the hope of the destination. That's the only thing that keeps you going. We're flying this year. (laughs) What's the reason for sticking on the track of discipleship? when the going gets tough? What is the motivation to endure when suffering comes, 
when opposition comes, when the world's scorn is poured upon you for naming the name of Christ, when that which is precious to you is taken away from you, when suffering and grief come knocking at your door, when it's so hard to keep going along the long road of discipleship, what is the reason to endure and keep going? You know, why wouldn't we abandon this track of faithfulness and instead opt for the apparently easier track of bitterness and self-indulgence and unbelief? Well, ultimately, friends, it is tied up with the destination, is it not? We know this journey, hard as it may be, is taking us somewhere, somewhere worthwhile, somewhere that merits the cost and the endurance. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The sometimes hard road, the often long road of discipleship through trial, of trusting the Savior through hardship, here's the thing, it is going somewhere good. It is heading somewhere worthwhile. It is leading even unto salvation. It's taking us to heaven. It's leading us to the Savior's side. Each time we encounter trial, and we will, and we do, we come to that fork in the road, and we must choose which way will I go? Will I keep walking with the Lord? Will I lean on Him? Or will I throw in the towel, wander off into bitterness, and unbelief. Now, the true believer may stumble and falter, of course, but the true believer will ultimately keep going. Peter's told us, actually, that the Lord will keep the true believer and guard the believer's faith. Remember verse 5, we are those who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed. He keeps us. And, and we come to see that. We sometimes look back on that windy road and we glance in the rearview mirror and realize that however much effort we felt we are putting in to keep going, He has actually been guarding us and holding us and keeping us. The strength, it all, it all came from Him. Friends, I have no idea what trials most of you are facing at the moment. I know some. I don't, I don't know what suffering and heartache you are having to endure. I don't know what opposition you may be facing at the present time, and none of us knows what may be just around the corner. But let me encourage you, as you stand at that fork in the road, by God's grace, choose once again to trust Him. Learn to love Him more deeply. Find your joy in Him and in His saving work, and keep, keep going along that dusty, winding trail of discipleship, stay near to him. Look with hope to the salvation that is yet to be revealed. Jonathan Griffiths here on Encounter the Truth, wrapping up our message, A Confidence in Trials, part of our series, Faith Under Fire, as today we've been looking at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 to 9. And if you ever miss a broadcast in our series, you can come and listen online. Our website is EncounterTheTruth.org. You know, Encounter the Truth is a listener-supported. It is your generosity that keeps Jonathan's teaching on the station each day. And as you give a gift of any amount this month, we want to say thank you. 
by sending you a book called The Case for Christ. It is written by Lee Strobel. And Jonathan, it seems like this book really resonates with the uh, heartbeat or the ministry of Encounter the Truth. Well, we have such a heart to reach people with the good news of Jesus who haven't yet heard it, who maybe haven't engaged with the truth of the Christian gospel and of the Word of God, people who are curious, people who are exploring. And this is just a tremendous resource for such a person. And and if that's you, we would love to get this book into your hands as our gift to you. This is one of the most effective resources in setting out the case that Jesus is indeed the Son of God, that he is who he says he is. Uh, This book has been read by millions and millions of people over recent years, and it's been such a help to so many. We would love to be able to give it to you, that it might help you as you explore the claims of Christ. Well, it is our thank you. As you support Encounter the Truth with a gift of any amount this month, you can find out more, give online at EncounterTheTruth.org or call us at 833-99-TRUTH. That's 1-833-998-7884 or EncounterTheTruth.org. For Jonathan Griffiths and our producer Mark Breda, I'm Steve Hiller. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time.